Amen. All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter number 5. Joe, were you playing the drums on your guitar too? Is that? That was a good job. Good job. Matthew 5. How many of you are cold in here tonight? Is it chilly? Look at that. Look at that. All right. Is it cold in here? Everybody all right? Yes. Uh, who's, who's warm in here? Who's just, it's just perfect right now the way it is. All right, good. We'll leave it the way it is then. Matthew 5, Matthew chapter 5. If you're, um, if you're sitting next to your um, spouse or daughter or dad, um, just get really close. Cuddle up a little bit. Go ahead. You're allowed to in church. Yeah, look at what you're supposed to say. We're normal. We're used to this. He looked like he just told you to get close to me. Knock it off. Get real close. You can warm up. All right, Matthew 5. And let's, uh, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture tonight. It's called the Beatitudes. Several verses here. Jesus is teaching his disciples. He says, in verse number one, Matthew is given an account of this. He says, in seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. And so the purpose, the purpose of this, this passage of Scripture is he gathers his disciples, he gets away from the multitudes. This is not a teaching that he's giving to a multitude of different people. This is something he is teaching his disciples. Now, his disciples were what? Followers of him, right? They, they were following him. He said, follow me and I'll be, uh, uh, you'll become fishers of men. He's teaching them. He's discipling them. He's helping them to understand something. And what he's going to understand, help them understand tonight is what true blessings from God are. And so he pulls them away from the multitude. It's just his disciples. He opens his mouth he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for, the, for my sake. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We're going to take from verse number three down to verse number 12, over these next five weeks, and we're really going to dig in. And each week, we're going to lay the foundation for the following week. And so we're going to build each week on these few verses, these several verses that we find, and we call these the Beatitudes. Jesus sets his disciples down, he begins to teach them what true blessings are. And he only begins to teach him what true blessings are, but he begins to teach him how to obtain them 
and he teaches them a deep understanding of true God-given blessings. How, how many of you tonight would say this, I desire God's blessings on my life? How many of you would desire that? What's interesting is this. When we, when we think of blessings, is it the same thing that God thinks of? Are blessings from God what he declares blessings? Are we on the same page as him? It isn't, is God on the same page with us? Are we on the same page with God when he talks about blessed? Blessed is this and blessed is that. You see, many who profess to be Christians, this is where I think a lot of us get stuck. We, we settle for little, and, and then we have to reconcile ourselves to just remaining as the way things are. And much, I think, is because we don't have the same understanding of what truly blessings are. We, we need a desire to have a blessed life, but what does a blessed life look like? For, for many, a blessed life, we would say this, happy marriage. But do you notice in chapter 5 here, he says nothing about a happy marriage? We would say this, gifted children. I mean, could you imagine if you could place on the back of your car that your child is an honor student? I mean, how proud you are. Grandparents. I, my grandchild is an honor student. I mean, that makes us so proud. But yet, in Matthew chapter 5, when he is saying blessed in the blessings of God, not one, not one time does he mention our children. Could, could you imagine if he had good health? What most of us would say this, I'm blessed with good health. Yet that's not mentioned here. I'm, I'm blessed with a fulfilling job, and, 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 and I feel fulfilled in this, this job that God has given me. And yet that's not mentioned here. We, we would say this, uh, if, if, if we were to give testimony, what is true blessings? Some would say this, financial stability. And the reality is all of those things, every one of those things are wonderful things. Yet what we say is a blessed life, Jesus doesn't even mention. Do you notice that? We need to be sure that we understand what God's true blessings are, the, the, the understanding of what he says a blessed life is, not what we believe a blessed life is. Because if we want life to be the way we want it to be, and God has a different plan, we can get disappointed. Now, I want you to understand something. As he pulls the crowd away, he, he, he takes the disciples and he leaves the multitude for themselves and maybe they get, head back home or maybe they're at a distance wondering what he's giving his disciples. But Jesus takes and he's developing and discipling them. He's telling them what a blessed life is because he understands he has a plan. His disciples are going to be persecuted. Many of them, many of them that are hearing this right now are going to be put to death for their faith and their following Jesus Christ. Some are going to be imprisoned. Some are going to have to give up things that we would say are blessings. Some would have to give up that type of life to follow Christ. They're going to be hurt. 
There, there's, there's issues and problems. They're, they're going to begin to minister to a church. The book of Acts, we've been studying that on Sundays. We, we're going to find where they're going to have to lead through difficulty and lead through persecution and lead through things. And they're not going to have, they're not going to have a prosperity gospel that he's not saying, now that you're following me, you're going to have such wealth and you're going to have such happiness. And, oh, it's going to be such a great life. Everything you always wanted is going to be yours. You're going to have uh, houses and you're going to, that boat, that, that old boat you were using to fish, don't worry, you're following me, you're going to get yourself a new boat. None of those things are going to happen. None of those things are going to happen. Yet he's going to teach his disciples how to have a blessed life. Don't miss this as we study in this series. Jesus' description of a life that is blessed we find in Matthew chapter 5. And hear me tonight, no one knows better where blessings are to be found outside of Jesus Christ. Would you agree with that? I mean, if there's someone that knows God's blessings, we would say it's Christ. So when Jesus speaks of these blessings of God, I would think that we'd all agree we ought to listen. And listen real closely, and we're going to dig, as I said, we're going to dig into this, this passage of Scripture. And tonight we're going to begin. The greatest blessings, they are hidden in places that you might not expect to find them. The greatest blessings, would you please write that down? I want you to think about that as we study through this passage of Scripture. The greatest blessings are found in places that you probably wouldn't expect them. If they were found in all of the things that I listed or that we would have listed, then Jesus would have mentioned them. But he doesn't mention any of those places. He says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, blessed are they that mourn. He says, blessed are the meek. You see, for many of us, the greatest blessings are hidden in places you would never expect to find them. As a matter of fact, the greatest blessings that, that, that we will find from the Lord are not in the things that we gather and gain in this world. Sometimes the greatest blessings that we'll ever find is when we go through some deep sorrows. When Jesus sits down with his disciples to tell them, of his life under the blessings of God, he describes this. He describes a person that's poor in spirit. He describes a person that mourns. He describes those that are meek. And also he describes this. He look with me in verse, in verse number four, uh, I'm sorry, verse number six. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. This is where the blessings of God will be found. Please get this tonight. Where you find the blessings of God is in poor in spirit. It's in mourning. It's in meekness. And what that allows us to do when we will follow that, it then allows us to come to a place where we begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. We, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. What we're doing is we're hungering and thirsting after God. We're hungering and thirsting after his word. 
and the, the promise there is this, the blessing is when you do, you'll be filled. Just, again, think about that point. When you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will be filled. If you hunger and thirst after the things of this world, you know what it leaves you? Empty. There's nothing of this world that can promise to fill you. There's nothing in this world that can promise to satisfy you and you never long again. There's nothing in this world that says that once you get this, you're going to feel complete. Because what happens is this, the things of this world, we get it and we're happy or we're joyful for a moment. And what do we always want after that? More. How many of you are satisfied with what you make today and you hope you never get a raise ever again? Anybody? How many of you are satisfied with the vehicle you have today and you hope you never, ever have to get another vehicle again? Henry's like, I hope nobody raises their hand. I need, <laughs> he needs you to want a vehicle. <laughs> no, the reality is this. When we get something, we always want more. My, my, uh, my, my wife said to me just this week, uh, she said, boy, Jacob is so hard to, to, to buy for, for Christmas. I said, what do you mean he's hard to buy for for Christmas? She's like, I don't know what to get him. I said, a gun. Are you serious? <laughs> How hard is that? Go get him a gun. And she said, well, how many guns does he need? And that's why I said, one more. What do you mean, how many guns does he need? Another one. Like, it's, it's not even, it's like having this conversation with my wife was like, are you, I, another one. And she says, he won't want another gun. He already has enough. And I said, actually, they're all in my name. Um, they're mine. You might want one. No, I, so I said to Jacob, I said, hey, mom thinks, mom thinks that you don't want another gun. He's like, why would, she, why would she think that? Who told her that? I don't know. I said, I thought maybe you were telling her you don't want another gun. He's like, well, tell her that's not true. I want one. And now all of a sudden she's been getting text messages of all these different guns that... Uh, and the reality is this, does he have one? Yeah. But you know what he wants? No, no. He's got ones he hasn't even shot yet. But I still need another one. The reality is that everything we have in life, once it becomes a little bit old, once it becomes a little bit new, when something shinier comes out and something better comes out, you know what we want? There, there are those that live in life, and, and they, they have a spouse, and they get to the place where they, for some reason, think they're not satisfied. Something new would be better. A new job would be better. A new this would be better. A new that would be better. Listen, nothing will ever satisfy you outside of a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And when someone, when a Believer comes to the place where they are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Look with me in verse number six. What's the Bible say? For they shall be filled. When you're filled, you're not desiring more. This is where the blessings of God are going to be found. 
You see, the Beatitudes are not telling you how to become a Christian. That's not what he's teaching his disciples here. The Beatitudes are telling you what a Christian looks like, and there's a big difference. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. He's not saying, all right, if you want to be a, uh, uh, saved, if you want heaven, if you want salvation, you need to behave this way. He's not doing that. What he's saying is this. What he's showing you is this is what you will look like if you are a follower of Christ. You behave a certain way. You act a certain way. You don't act this way to gain salvation, but you behave this way after you are saved. Jesus is not teaching salvation by works. Salvation is by faith. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's by God's grace. And when we accept and receive that salvation, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. Are we on the same page with that? And we are then found in Christ. We're forgiven from our sin debt. All that takes place because of grace. It doesn't take place because of works. We can't ever be charged again with our sin. Those that have trusted Christ as your Savior, aren't you so glad that you cannot be charged with your sin? It's forgiven. Now and into the future, your sins are forgiven. The Christian life begins by being justified by faith in Christ. Romans 5, turn with me just real quick, just uh, to uh, all of us are on the same page with that. Romans chapter 5 in verse number 1. You say, where do you understand that? Because Scripture never, Scripture will never, um, uh, it it all falls in line. Jesus is not going to teach something that later on is going to be different later on. So we know that this is not a work salvation because the Bible says in Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by what? Works? No, by being justified by faith, we have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. According to Romans chapter number five, verse number one, we're justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by what? Faith into his grace. We don't have access to God because of works. We have access to God because of faith in what? This grace. What is that grace? That grace is Jesus Christ in in the gospel, wherein we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we have access into this grace wherein we, we, we now stand, the Bible says. So a person who stands in grace should have a heart for holiness. Please mark that down. A person that stands in grace, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you stand in grace. Now that you stand in grace, you ought to have a heart for holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, let me read that, mark that down, go back and study this. But Romans 12, uh, 14 says this, follow peace with all men and what? Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow holiness be at peace. And our desire ought to be to be at peace with all men and in in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. So the pursuit of holiness is the, it's the distinguishing mark of a person who stands in grace. It's not a, it's not an action to receive grace. It becomes, it becomes that distinguishing mark. What you do, how you live doesn't merit you salvation what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's grace. His grace is what gives you salvation. But now that you're saved, you should live a way that distinguishes you from someone else that doesn't know Christ because of who Christ is. There's a 
there's a definite flow here in the Beatitudes as we study this, and this is the flow that I want to look at here. The Beatitudes do more than just describe a blessed life. This gives us a roadmap to pursue this life. The other day, a couple weeks ago, I had this idea for, for Vision 2020. We're going to have these big balloon um, towers. And so I saw a picture of these huge balloon towers. They were like 16 feet tall. And um, I thought, that is awesome. Let's get those. And so someone did a little research, found them on Amazon. And, you know, the picture of what you see before you order it and then what you get when you order it. Did you notice we didn't have 16-foot balloon towers? We had like five-and-a-half-foot balloon towers. Um, And when it came in, the pictures were beautiful, but it came in in just a box of, of all these parts. Like, it was really complicated. It really was. And so... Someone opened the box up and said, what do you want us to do with those? And I'm like, I just held up the picture. I want you to do that. And they're like, okay. I mean, it was, it should have been easy. I mean, there was like a thousand, it was like a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle to put these things together. And then you still had to blow balloons up. And so I said, well, let's just make it look like this. Well, how do you make it look like that? Well, just follow the picture. Well, the problem is the picture had all these balloons, but it, the picture, you couldn't see what this, what this tower was supposed to look like and how all these pieces put together. And so we knew what we wanted it to look like, but you know what the problem was? We had no idea how to make it look like that. All the pieces were there. The picture was there. You know what we were missing? The instructions. How many of you have ever tried to put something together without instructions? And you had all these pieces left. Like, well, just, I don't know, they just give extra pieces. You know, that's what I thought. They just, they just like to make 15 extra screws, I guess. I don't know. And your kids sit on it and the thing falls apart and piece of junk, you know. <laughs> they don't make things like they used to. <laughs> no, there's instructions. Or what you could say is a roadmap. So that you can look like you're supposed to look. But listen, you can't figure this out on your own. Living a blessed life is not something that you can figure out on your own and you can do on your own. You've got to follow the roadmap. And the first three Beatitudes here deal with our needs. Those needs are this, that we become poor in spirit. We want, look look at the end of here, we want... We want peace. We want to be a peacemaker. We want to be merciful. We want to be pure in heart. How many of you ever want to be merciful, but you have a hard time forgiving someone? I want to ask you to raise your hand. It's hard. Well, how am I to be merciful? How am I to be forgiving? I can't just say, all right, I want to look like that, and I'm going to be forgiving. And I say, all all I want, all right, I'm going to be forgiving. And the next day you wake up, and you know what you can't do? You can't get over the hurt with someone. You can't show mercy. Boy, I want to be a peacemaker, but the first time you get into a circumstance that you don't like what you're in, you don't like what was said, you don't like what was done, instead of causing peace, you add fuel to that. You walk away and you say, I can't believe it. I I don't understand. I, I want to live this. How many of you would love to live a pure life? 
There are many people, listen, there's things that, because we're human, there's things that get into your mind, there's things that you see, and and, and doesn't Satan have a a great way of pulling those back up? You start to get a little bit of victory in the Lord, and all of a sudden, Satan pulls those thoughts and those desires back up, and you say, I don't understand, I want to live a pure life so bad, and he says that I can, but how do I get that blessing? You don't start by being a peacemaker. You don't start by pure. You don't start with mercy. You start all the way back here in these first three verses. You've got to have that poor in spirit. The spirit, when we see that we are not the Christian we want to be, and we are a long way from what God has called us to be. Listen, many of us, we don't want to admit it. We, we don't we don't, want, we don't want anybody to bring it out, but many of us, what we do is we compare ourselves to someone else. And as long as I'm not as bad, or as long as I'm better than someone else, then I'm okay. And hear me, that causes pride and that causes conceit. We are not to look at someone else and compare, well, I'm not as bad as that person, so I'm pretty good. Or I'm not as bad as I used to be, so I guess I'm pretty good off. That's not having a spirit, a poor in spirit. That's having a spirit of pride and conceit where I'm not as bad as someone else or I'm better than someone else. So guess what? How I am and who I am must be acceptable. You can't get to the place of peace and mercy and you can't get to the place that we find in the last portion of these verses until we've dealt with our spirits. Until we realize this, that you are not where God wants you to be. You've got to continue that path. We never arrive till we can say, I'm, stopped, I'm done growing. There's always some place for us to learn. There's always some place for us to grow. There's always an area of growth in our life. And when we are poor in spirit, when we see ourselves in relationship to Christ, then we can begin to be more like him. Look with me in verse number four. The Bible says, and mourn. Blessed are they that mourn when we, when, when, when we see that our sins are many. I learned something about mourning. And that is this, none of us want to be in seasons of mourning. How many of you like to wake up and just cry? Anybody? I'm looking for a bad day today. I'm looking to have troubles. I'm looking to have burdens. I'm, I can't. Today's a day I just want to cry. Matter of fact, I'm going to bed tonight hoping I wake up and mourn. Mourning is not something that we go after. Mourning is not something that we enjoy doing. Matter of fact, if we ever get to the place of mourning, what do we want? We want that season to end so we can get back to happiness. As I was studying this passage of Scripture, I was trying to understand, and I I was asking the Lord, help me understand, blessed are they that mourn. And the Lord, help me understand it this way. It's funny, I said to my wife just today, I said, parenting girls is, is hard. Like, with Jacob, I just punched him on his shoulder, and he was good. With my girls, oh, my. It's like, what just happened? 
one moment they can be in a great mood. The next moment, Michelle's like, why did you say that? I said, I just said it three minutes ago and it was funny. Yeah, but that was three minutes ago. You can't say that now. I said, well, someone needs to tell me these rules, you know? I don't know. <clears throat> so a daughter comes home and she just, somebody said something or they're having a problem or, you know, Mr. Farley did something at school, something of that sort, you know? I love the laugh. I love the play. I love to have a good time. And so when they shoot a basket that, that uh, uh, they make or something goes well, they get a good grade, what do you do? You give them a high five and everything's great. You know, you get straight A's. There's no crying. There's ice cream. We're going for ice cream. This is great. So when things are going well, it's high fives and ice cream and well done and what a life. This is awesome. But when one of your daughters come to you and they're feeling down and they're discouraged and they're mourning, something happens that is so wonderful. It's not a high five. It's not ice cream. It's a hug. They come in really, really close, and you put your arm around them, and you comfort them. And there's nothing better. They, they just kind of, you know what I'm talking about? They just kind of rest. They just kind of fall into you. And what's the Bible say? Blessed are they that mourn for what? They shall be comforted. What I've learned through trying to understand that the Lord has used the parenting girls, daughters. There's something you learn when you're comforted through mourning. This is the thing. The girls love it. Like they, they, it, it bonds you with them. They love it. They, they, they kind of dry the tears up a little bit. They're, they're being comforted. But you know what? You know who enjoys it just as much as they enjoy it? Don't tell them. I do. I do. I enjoy comforting. I enjoy being there. And hear me, there's something about that relationship at that time that grows deeper, that grows greater. Something about when you're there and you're mourning with someone and they're being comforted, that strengthens your relationship that no other situation or season can. Do you know there are some things about God that we learn that only comes through mourning? And he says this, blessed are they that mourn. You know why? Because you get to experience his comfort. And there's something about his comfort. There's something about God that we learn, that we only learn through mourning. And through that process of mourning, he comes alongside of us. Just like that picture of us with our children, he comforts us through that. You know what we learn? He supplies. You know what he learn? we learn? That he cares. 
You know what we learn? That he's not just there when things are going well, but he's there next to me, even in seasons where it's difficult and I'm mourning. Mourning is not something we look forward to, but the Bible says, blessed are they that mourn. For what reason? They shall be comforted. There is something that God gives you through mourning, and it's a blessing. Look, look with me in verse number five. The Bible says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He says this, those that become meek rather than self-willed and defiant. Do, do, do you know the difference between being meek and self-willed and defiant? Hey, I'm going to do my thing my way. The, the, I, I had this conversation not long ago with someone, and, and, and I said this. I used the Bible verse, and I said to him, I said, you know, the way to respond is to be meek. And he says, I am being meek. And I said, I don't think you're being meek. He says, no, I am being meek. But being meek doesn't mean not saying something. And I said, I scratched my head, and I said, well, actually, being meek does. Meek means to be quiet. <laughs> being meek means this. I can respond but I'm not going to. Being meek means this. The example of meekness is Jesus going to the cross like a lamb going to slaughter, and he doesn't say a word. That's meekness. Blessed are those that when they get riled up and they, they want to say something, blessed are those that don't. We don't always have to give our opinion. We don't always have to have our say. We don't always have to have our will. And the Bible here says, blessed are those, and that's what that word meek, blessed are those that doesn't, don't always have to have their way. Or blessed are those that don't always have to impose their way on someone else. You see, if you want to learn the end of this chapter, this, these verses, if you want to live a life of peace, if you want to live a life with a pure heart, if you want to live a life of mercy and forgiveness, you've got to learn, number one, you've got to learn that first verse, poor in spirit. Number two, you've got to learn what, what uh, mourning is, the value, the, ble the blessings we get from mourning. And number three, we've got to learn what it is to be blessed with a meek spirit. And this is what comes after that. And this is the progression we see as we see the Beatitudes. Because those, when we see that we do not have in our wisdom and our ability to direct and, and make decisions and own our life and figure out life for ourselves, that we need Christ, we then see the value of having these attitudes, these Beatitudes, these blessed attitudes, and the root, what comes out of this root is verse number six, a hunger and a thirst after righteousness. Listen, a poor in spirit, somebody says, I don't, just don't know why I'm not hungering and thirsting after righteousness like I should, because you're not poor in spirit. Why don't I hunger and thirst after righteousness like I should? Because you're not mourning. Why don't I hunger and thirst after righteousness? Because you're not living a meek life. It's when you are that way, one of the blessings that come from living poor in spirit and mourning in living a meek life is that you then begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. You don't desire the things of the world because you are blessed by living this life of mourning, this life of poor in spirit, this life of meekness. We want to have that, that, that thriving relationship with Christ, but we want to choose to live the life we want to live. Do you see this? This progression, 
If we want to hunger and thirst after righteousness, we've got, we've got to get that first part of this, this chapter down. You see, when the roots of those first three Beatitudes are nourished, our desire for righteousness springs up. If we choose to live a very selfish, self-centered, self-serving life, we will never have a desire and a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. You see, the first fruit that's produced from this blessed life is, look what we have in verse number seven. So those that live a poor in spirit, those that mourn, those that have meek lives, you'll begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So the root is, is fed in what springs up and the fruit of what comes out then is what? In verse number seven, the Bible says, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. You'll never learn to be merciful until you have a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness. You'll never be able to forgive those that hurt you. You'll continue to hold that on. There's going to be days that you want to forgive. There's going to be days that I want to show mercy. But you can't live that life because you can't live it outside of a hungering and thirsting for righteousness. But you can't have that hunger and thirst for righteousness if you're the one choosing how you're going to live. If you're the one choosing your will, if you're the one that's going through life and life is about you and life is about my decisions, no, we can only come to that hungering, thirsting through that poor in spirit, through that mourning and through that meekness. And once we get that attitude right, the blessing is this. I begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness. The blessing then is this, that I can deal with mercy and forgiveness in my everyday life. Listen, there's so many Christians that go around life and they're miserable in life because they hold on. They can't forgive. Some, some of the Christians, a distinguishing mark in Christians ought to be merciful, yet sometimes we're the most mean-spirited people you can meet. We want revenge. We just can't let it go. We can't give it up because we're trying to let it go and give it up, not because we're hungering and thirsting out of righteousness. We're trying to do it in our own strength. And listen to me, you can't do it. You can't, you can't scripturally forgive without following scripture. You hold on to it. You might think you have victory until something comes up and you ought to show mercy there, but you can't show mercy there and it all comes back up. Do you ever get to a place in life where you thought you were over something and then all of a sudden something happens and it all floods back? And you're like, yeah, that's right, I'm mad at that person. Oh yeah, I forgot all about that. I don't know all the details, but all I know is I am mad. You can't move on. You can't move on because you're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You're not hungering and thirsting after righteousness because your spirit's not where it needs to be. Because we're looking at life not from the poor in spirit, not from the meek spirit, not from a spirit of mourning, but we're looking at it through our eyes. The Bible says this, through purity, there's so many people in verse number eight, blessed are the pure in heart where they shall see God. There's so many of this. They have, a, they have addictions. They have things in their heart that they truly want to live a pure life, but they're trying to do it in their own strength. You're never going to be able to have a pure heart by you trying to fix your heart. The only way that you can have a pure heart and be blessed with the blessings of that is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. 
Again, it goes back, the same thing, finding peace. Verse number nine, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Listen, Christ, didn't, when he gave these, he just didn't put them in some random order. These build upon each other. When I care and I deal with these three, first three Beatitudes, that's the root. And as that root gets nourished and as that root gets healthy, what springs out is this, this desire to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And when I do hunger and thirst after righteousness, what does that fruit produce? That fruit then produces forgiveness and mercy and purity and what? Peace. We want peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Listen, we ought to desire to be a peacemaker. We need to be a peacemaker. One of the distinguishing characteristics of a Christian ought to be that they're a peacemaker. But when you get into a situation where you can choose peace or choose your way, what do we choose? Our way. The other day I took my daughter, I might have told you this, I took my daughter to the store. I had a couple of my daughters, one with me in the back and Katie was sitting in the front and we pulled up and I pulled up in the, in the parking spot and I was within my parking spot. I wasn't over at all. I was close to a line, but I was in my parking spot. And um, we came walking out of the store. I got in my truck and I'm sitting there and I see this guy walking right toward my truck and he's the guy that's parked next to me. He parked all the way over and there was plenty of room. And he just looked at me, and he went like this. Looks at the car, looks at the line, looked at me, and wagged his head. Well, it started in my feet. It got up to my knees. And before I knew it, I needed to be a peacemaker. I wanted to be a peacemaker. But at the moment, I was not hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I calmly, it was on Kaylee's side, I calmly rolled down her window. She said, Dad, what are you doing? I said, just sit back. <laughs> I leaned over and I said, get in your car and go home. He looked at me, he said, what? I said, just get in your car and go home. He said, what? I said, get in your car. Said it slower just so he could understand it. He didn't know what to do. He stood there like, and I said, come on, go, get in your car. I, I shushed him. And Kaylee's looking at me like, dad. I said, I didn't raise my voice. So I rolled the window up and she said, I'm telling mom. I'm driving home. I didn't, I didn't raise my voice. That's all I said. I, I said, if that bothers you that much, then you probably just need to go home. I, th I think I said something like that. I'm driving home, and this is the problem. I had an opportunity to be a peacemaker, and I didn't. I didn't because I wasn't hungering and thirsting after righteousness. I wasn't hungering and thirsting after righteousness because I wasn't meek. And I wasn't poor in spirit. I said, how dare you wag your head at me? Like, that's a bad thing. Like, who cares? And like, I think about it now. I'm like, who cares? It would have been better off for me just to back out and peel out and then, you know, kind of ignore the guy. You know, no, that wouldn't have been good either. 
But what happens? Somebody does something to me, and who do they think they are? Well, see, if I was poor in spirit, I would have been hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And when opportunity came for me to be a peacemaker, you know what I would have done? Naturally been a peacemaker. You see, we want to be a peacemaker without hungering and thirsting after righteousness, without being poor in spirit. And you can't do it in your flesh. It's impossible. I tried. I try every day. You know what you find? You can't do it. Oh, I want to have a nice home, and I want to have a great marriage, and I want to have, you know, gifted children that are, you know, honor roll, and and I want to put, you know, honor roll on the back of my car so that everyone knows that my kids are so smart, and and I I want all of those things, and I want money in the bank, and Jesus doesn't talk about any of those things. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed is the peacemaker. You know, I find here as we dig into this passage of Scripture, I'm done with this, as we dig into this each week over the next five weeks, he lays out what God's blessings are. God's blessings for me, you know what I missed? It it wasn't healthy kids. It wasn't a great marriage. It was an opportunity to have his blessing because I was a peacemaker. And I missed it. I missed it. We don't have to go through life continually missing it. That was the purpose of Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. And so I want you to stay with me. Study these over the next five weeks with me. Because what this ought to do is produce. It doesn't give us salvation. We're already saved. But we learn the roadmap that distinguishes us as a child of God versus someone that isn't. And that ought to be our desire. Father, help us, I pray.